Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven and eight figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, part of the amazing FBA podcast family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven figure exit and enjoy the process, then keep listening. Eva serves hundreds of private label seven figure sellers. To get a 15 day free trial, go to amazingfba.com forward slash Eva. That's amazingfba.com forward slash E-V-A. Ladles and jelly spoons, boys and girls, welcome back to the 10K Collective Podcast, a subset of the amazing FBA podcast family for six, seven and eight figure Amazon sellers. Today we are talking about that subject that is often what the sort of shining city on the hill, the the alleged aim of a lot of Amazon businesses, which is to sell your business for seven figures or even more. And of course, it's much discussed, but today, hopefully we're going to have a bit of a different take on that subject, which is with Chris Linton and Daniel Calleja from SellerX. They're a Berlin-based aggregator, lots of exciting startups in Berlin. A uh, bit of a different take from the average sort of American aggregator, a bit of a European angle, hopefully. And we're going to talk through the whole thing of really when you decide to sell your business, how does that decision go? And then what happens next? And then what happens when you've actually transitioned the business to a new team? And what happens you know, to your business within the new family of the aggregator? So first of all, Chris and Daniel, warm, warm welcome to the show. Thanks so much for coming on. Hey, Michael. Hey, Chris. That's a uh, What's that, Daniel? No, just thank you for having us. A pleasure. So the first question then really is, I suppose we ought to give a bit of background about you. And then the first question I want to ask is really, why should I even sell my business? Assuming it's a good business, why would you sell it in the first place? But let's get a tiny bit of background on you. So Chris, tell us, uh, first of all, about your yourself. You're actually uh, a business owner and still working in an Amazon business. And so a bit intriguing. Tell us about yourself. Uh, sure. Yeah, no, I, I originally started my career very early on at Amazon. So I was a, a member in this sort of this operational excellence team. Then I, uh, then I moved to the retail side where I was a uh, sort of a category manager doing things like mattresses and office furniture, which was very exciting. And then I, I kind of wanted to, to make uh, some money myself, all of my, all of my accounts, all of my vendors, um, making all these six figures so i thought you know what i'm gonna uh gonna try my hand myself but i the only issue was i didn't have any good ideas so instead i i partnered with my um well now ex-ceo and i came on board with with tca around sort of maybe about four and a bit years ago five years ago now and they were they were a business selling on amazon selling on a little bit on ebay as well and then so over the sort of the my time there, I, I kind of launched them on various Amazon marketplaces, took advantage of FBA and so forth. Go, the owner and I decided that we wanted to exit. And so we spent around about, well, this is maybe about 18 months ago. We spent the, the 12 months then preparing the business for an exit. And then we sold to SellerX in May of, and then since then, the, as a sort of as part of the deal, we, we stayed on board other than the, the ex-owner who's now who's now left and then yeah for the last sort of a five six months we've all been seller ex employees but i've yet to update my linkedin for that actually so so i'll get a ticking off there but yeah so that, that's a, a good bit of background on me thank you yeah it's funny about linkedin profiles isn't it i mean linkedin something i i frankly check the messages every three months on that and people then 
vigorously reply to my messages on LinkedIn saying, I say, don't contact me on LinkedIn, email me. And then they reply on LinkedIn. And the other thing is everyone's profile is about five out, five years out of date. So LinkedIn, if you're listening, sorry, guys, you're not always the place to be, even though everyone says you are. Daniel, <laughs> thank you very much, Chris. So joking aside, lots of uh, interesting points we'll, we'll want to dive into there. And Daniel, you're part of the acquisitions team, as, as I understand it, at Celerex. So what's your job at Celerex? Yeah, I mean, also for, for, for background, similar, I mean, my background is, was in finance. I did years at, at City, but something a little bit more interesting with me was I used to be an Amazon seller as well. And I had an Amazon FBA business that I started with my with my old uh, flatmate and we ended up selling the business. So I got really interested in the space and, and obviously decided to, like back in March this year, so also fairly recently, decided to join SellerX full time. So I lead Celerex's investment team in the UK. And what I what that means basically is we look for for well, me and my team look for the best businesses uh, normally based in the UK, but also around the world that, that sell on Amazon. And we look at all marketplaces, but the their main criteria is we focus on, on sellers that are based in, in the UK. I mean, the what's interesting about Chris's story, which I think is where we where we're gonna get to is we, we we tend to be very flexible in terms of our approach that like chris was a chris at tca was a was a great example of of a business that we really came with with some people that for us it was a top priority to to continue keeping them because i mean it's very difficult to find talent in the space and it was really, really helpful to, to have people that continue and, and, and help us continue running the brand. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things I wanted to talk about uh, today because everyone talks about selling the business like it's kind of selling a car or something uh, simple that is a one-off transaction. But of course, that's not normally how it works, is it? And sort of business continuity after the sale is a really important thing. So let's come back to the one of the most important simple questions then is why should I sell my business? Obviously, Chris, you were involved in that as one of the business part owners and, and operators. Um, so let's take the that side of it first, which is less often talked about. Obviously, aggregators always tell you you should sell your business, but I guess they've got a vested interest. <laughs> what what caused you and your ex CEO to to decide to sell in the first place? I suppose suppose he in terms of in terms of the two uh, the share, I think I think sort of the CEO had a bit more of a, a say in it than me. But I think at the time he'd been. He'd been running the the business for a good all eight nine, and I think he in particular he just had some other sort of passions that he wanted to follow, uh, and he wasn't as invested as he was, or, or did or what he knew he wasn't going to be as invested as he was in in TCA. I think when we had the discussion, we knew it was the right time to sell. I think everyone sort of has that that time to sell, but we were on an upward. Uh, trajectory, and we'd I think over the sort of the last maybe three or four years, we, we'd sort of we'd had we'd had various projects that we felt we hadn't really been able to capitalize on. So, for example, we'd we'd really invested heavily in our website, and we'd and we'd tried to like launch an EU free PL and things. And we just felt that, especially with with the right people around it, and this is probably where Celerex come in, like those projects could have been done a whole lot better. And and we felt that someone with the sort of the capabilities would be able to capitalize on them. And then we we actually at the around around the time of sort of the talking about selling, we knew that we wanted to keep the team. And so that was for me a very like sort of a personal type of a reason to sell because we knew that we were going to stay on board and then I would have the opportunity to uh, to sort of go forth with all these projects, which yeah, which which previously as a sort of a small business, we may not have been able to, you know, to, to to really implement as well. 
Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, uh, it's interesting because I suppose it's having a sense of the business as a separate entity from either the owner now or the aggregator in in the future, right? And and thinking what the business needs, which kind of sounds like a weird thing to say, because obviously, it, you know, what matters is the ownership and profit and lump sums that you get and so forth, I suppose. But yeah, it's interesting that actually at a certain point there is a natural dynamic, isn't there? The business is going, right, it's either going to grow more or it's going to die. And also like the fact that you, you see the fact coming that you're going to lose interest and sell before that happens because I've seen quite a few cases where people try and sell afterwards I, I guess Daniel you must have those sad conversations so Daniel from your point of view then when somebody like Chris and, and his ex-CEO and, and the team decide they want to sell what are the what's the sort of basic process just talk us through the a little bit of the mechanics just from an overview perspective yeah sure I mean I'll, I'll talk in the context of, of TCA which I mean in, in this case I mean we we got in touch through through a broker for 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 transaction actually funny enough I actually knew the, the CEO through a friend of a friend and actually we like connected as well before, like, oh, actually thinking of selling us, oh, well, you should message us as well. So, so we connected a bit, but the process was, I mean, I'd say it was relatively simple. The broker had prepared some materials on the on the business, some financials, some projections, basically a deep understanding of on the supply chain and the operations and the infrastructure that the business had. So we had, I think, first a one-hour call with, with Chris and, and the CEO and it was really about getting to know their business, getting to know them better. I mean, we, we personally put a lot of focus on on the growth and the opportunities because that's where we where we see that we can really add value. Like, if we take this business tomorrow, what can we do in order to grow it? And and what does the business need that it can't be done at the moment that we can help? So I think we had one or two uh, hour conversations with, with the team. Then I think the process was relatively simple. We we submitted an offer. I think there we had a touch point. Then we, we we signed what was called the letter of intent, which is basically a one or two page document where we agreed the, the head term of the transaction. And then we started due diligence. I think due diligence went relatively smooth. I think it took us maybe between 30 and 40 days to, to do all the all the due diligence. Chris here was instrumental they're like answering all our all our requests. I mean, I don't know from from my side, it went relatively smooth. Maybe for you, it was a, a little bit more more painful. But what we did was, I mean, we focused on 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 four more four main areas: financial, that it was basically verifying that the numbers that we had looked at were actually correct, and 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 there wasn't any anything there. Uh, commercial, so again, verifying some some of the things on Amazon and and the product positioning chain the inventory things like that then legal that there's nothing no, no sort of legal issues with the setup the the trademarks belong to them etc and then tax which is again that there isn't any sort of weird tax liabilities that we would taken over given this was a, a share deal so yeah i mean 30 40 days later we we signed the the, the share purchase agreement and obviously we we welcome tca and chris and, and all his team to to our seller x family Great. So a couple of points. So um, the first thing you said is share purchase agreements. So I've heard that quite a lot of, particularly the American aggregators, seem to be very into asset sales rather than buying a company as a whole. But it sounds like you bought the company as a whole. So tell me what, what the thinking is behind that, if that's important. Yeah, I mean, the, this, I mean, the, the distinction shares and asset purchase, basically what, what tends to happen in, in the US, most of the transactions tend to be asset purchase because it's significantly easier to, to do uh, you don't have this element of a potential tax liability that, that comes with it. However, in the UK and, and in most European countries, it's structured with a shell. And the reason, the main reason for it is for the seller, 
there's a, a big tax advantage to, to do it as a, as a share deal because most governments offer like some tax benefits by doing a share versus a, an asset deal. So in this case, we, we did as a, a share deal first to, to help the, the seller. And also given we were taking over the, the team, the, the contracts, everything, it was significantly easier to do it like that than rather than do an asset deal and have to transfer the contracts of the employees, transfer whatever leases that they have, transfer the trademarks, the seller account. So this case, it was just easier. But in that respect, I mean, as seller X, we, we, we do both and, and tend to be very flexible depending on, on what the seller wants. Cool. Okay, interesting. It's just something that's come up. So it's one of those sort of nitty-gritty technical questions that I suppose we, we need to educate people about a little bit. The other thing is you mentioned tax and weird liabilities. I would like to just check on that in a second. But I think before we do that, let's talk about, as you said, the due diligence process from your side seemed fairly smooth. You mentioned that, Chris, obviously the, you're the, you are and were the COO, so Chief Operations Officer, which I guess implies a certain size of business. What sort of size of business were, were you when you decided to sell and what sort of, what are we dealing with here roughly? I think we were sort of around about the 5 million uh, mark in revenue, give or take a few. <laughs> so yeah, so the, the, the due diligence process from from my side, um, I think we 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 ended up actually over preparing. You know, it'd be the first time I'd been through a sale, and we had our FD at the time who was really helping us out, and he was more. He's worked on a lot of acquisitions. I don't think uh, he'd ever worked on an acquisition in the Amazon space. So I think we his advice, which was probably really good at the time, was was ended up being that we over-prepared. I think we had like huge lists of things that we expected um, Seller X to ask for, and they didn't. The, the one big thing, I suppose, was around about the tax, actually. I think, I think I was asked at one point to give a list of my the all of my customs declarations over the last year, which for an apparel business, which operates in free entities, was a long list of customs declarations. But yeah, so yeah, no, but it was it, it was good. I think yeah, like I say, like we definitely had already prepared a lot of the things anyway. So when we had the request, it was just about tweaking them for the wording that the seller X team wanted. Yeah, interesting. So you guys obviously very organised, and I guess that that with a five million pound business or, or dollar, I don't know what even you, when everyone throws the numbers around and assumes it's dollar but I guess we're talking pounds or euros here, but that you obviously, they were smart enough to hire someone like you who had a really solid, solid background in e-commerce and, you know, as a CF or chief operations officer or whatever, whatever you call that in sort of British words. And then they also had an FD or financial director, which for American friends listening is CFO, chief financial officer. People chuck a lot of these words around, but in other words, you've got a solid operations and financial people there. And I guess for the smaller businesses that don't have that, then the due diligence is going to be, a painful coming up to speed for a lot of people. So Daniel, would you say what Chris has just described is typical of of the businesses that you acquire or is it normally the case that you find that their finances and, and operational documentation is a bit messier than that? No, I mean, I think it's it's typical. Well, it depends. I think it's, it's typical for the size that makes sense. Like once you, you get to a size, you, you normally have like that infrastructure in place and, and it tends to be a little bit easier and smoother that like there is people to, to answer the, those questions, right? Because the, the problem is a lot of the times if it's a one owner, one founder kind of person, the they don't have the the, the granularity and the expertise on, on those topics. And a lot of the time what they've been doing is, is putting down fires and not necessarily keeping like good track record of, of all these things that come up during due diligence. But what I would mention as well, which is what I mean related to what Chris says, we, we tend to do a lot of work before the transaction. So 
So before we see very much the due diligence uh, as confirmatory due diligence. So basically confirming the numbers that we did before, confirming so that we that the product positioning is okay, that the Amazon account is okay. What, what I was mentioning before on the taxes, that there's nothing uh, of confirming that they own all the trademarks. So in that respect, it tends to be fairly smooth that there isn't like, it's not like we, we, we start doing the work when we're doing due diligence is we've already done the work. Let's just make sure our assumptions were correct. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I've heard from various aggregators, one thing to look out for <clears throat> with aggregators or, or I, yeah, I guess it would be aggregators would be sending out a letter of intent super quickly without doing due diligence and then spending ages and ages trying to keep you off the market uh, whilst they go and discover the stuff that they kind of should have found out before they actually did that. So yeah, let's talk a little about deal structure then, because obviously one of the things that people are gradually getting clued up on as Amazon sellers is that you don't just go to somebody and sell your business and they give you a million pounds, dollars, euros, whatever, and then it's good night, Lucy. You actually normally have some kind of earnout structure or there's part of it. So what what are the sort of typical deal structures that you'd end up with? Yeah, I mean, something I'll point out here, I mean, Something we, we're quite proud of Seller X is, I mean, even our name, the X, is that like, the, it's, it, it's for the variable X that every seller is different, every seller wants something different, and, and, we, and we really put a lot of effort on, on giving them the best experience as possible. And that also like, goes from start to, to when we start talking with them, but also when we make them an offer, we really try to, to tailor for the needs. So in that respect, I mean, we, we tend to be quite flexible that if someone wants the majority of the money up front, we can do that structure. But if they want something with like, as you said, earnouts and, and continue to get paid long term, then we also do that, right? Because I think it, it also goes to, to what the seller wants to do with their lives, right? If they want to go and, and build other projects, et cetera, and don't want to be involved, then that's fine, right? Like they... They probably want to have more of the money up front to, to whatever they have to. But a lot of them, like MTCA is a, is a great example. It's one where, yes, the owners wanted someone to, to grow the brand, take it to another next level, but they also saw a lot of potential and thought they would want to benefit in the, in the long term. So in this case, we, we went for a structure that was quite generous on the, on the deferred payment component. Looking to increase your online sales? Join Ecom Events at one of their four events throughout the USA. Miami in January, San Diego in March, Minneapolis in July and New York City in October. The conference offers learning, tips and tools needed to increase your sales, networking, food and refreshments, prize drawing and lots of fun for all seller levels. Head on over to www.e-comevents.com and register today with promo code AMAZINGFBA to save $50 off your ticket cost. Great. So the earn outside was, was a bit bigger. And so in terms of the, the sort of balance between upfront money and earn out, if that's even a realistic distinction, the what's the sort of balance in in terms of the percentage of the, the value of the deal that it tends to be what's typical and what, what would you say you did in TCA, which sounded like it was a bit more towards the earn out? What, how does that balance look? Yeah, I mean, TCA was one of these examples, exactly as you mentioned, right? Because we saw those and, and the and they saw that there was potential long-term. And I mean, even Chris has, has stayed with us and continues running the brand. He's got like a lot of control about what happens on a day-to-day -day and, and the growth of, of the brand. So what, that was one where there was a lot of focus on, on the earnout. 
I mean, typically, to answer your question, typically, I think it's most aggregators, if not all of them, uh, include the neuronal bone. And I mean, it can vary, right? I've seen them. I've seen some things where it's like, in, I don't know, from structure, maybe like 20% of the value up until almost like 50 or 60% of the value, depending on the intentions and, and the future of the of the business. The, the point being that, I mean, it, it, it goes to what you fundamentally what you want, right? If you want to, if you, if you really believe in your brand and you just need more resources, et cetera, you're probably going to go for a more structure where you've got more more on the deferred payment versus something that you go on the other. And a lot of the sellers think that like, okay, especially if they're comfortable with the partner and they think this partner is really going to grow their business, et cetera. It's a, it's a really, really good way of, of capturing upside longer term. Yeah, that does make sense. And I, I guess you've got to have faith in two things, right? The brand's future and the ability of the aggregators to grow it. <laughs> and the willingness, I suppose, of the aggregators to put the necessary money and, and resources, allocate staff time to it, I guess, as well, right? So there's quite a lot of different types of faith involved there. So Chris, obviously, you're in a very interesting situation that you've you've kind of gone cradle to grave with, with so many things. You've seen the marketplace and other third-party sellers making a lot of money. You've then moved into being a, a part owner and, and a worker within, you know, COO within that business structure. And you've now moved within the same business, but the business as a whole has moved house. So uh, I guess, you know, uh, <laughs> we'd have a different conversation over a beer, I guess, w- without one of the members of the team there. But just in terms of what you can say in public, what what are the sort of experiences that you, in summary, that you would say about that, the sort of things that have been challenges and the things that have actually worked out really well? Yeah, Daniel will will cut cut my mic if I ever say anything. He'll, he'll do the <laughs> the evil villain. No, no, it's been. I think I think it, it was it was. I think around about the time that we were acquired, I think Celerex maybe were just coming up to. So they they it was uh, yeah we were very. I think it was one of the reasons. Obviously, we chose them in the end. They were so fast growing. I think the the amount of employees they've hired just in the space of us of us being acquired is mental. But yeah, so so when we were when we were onboarded and we were integrated. I think um, it was. I think the first month was challenging because um, because there was so much. There was so much of sort of the how I think that Celerex maybe so much sort of uh, that we had to kind of discuss in terms of integrating. So it's so like okay, well, what bits would stay with you guys? What bits would would be handed over? I think yeah. So, so we 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 had a lot of kind of onboarding calls with different departments. And then I think, yeah, it was, it was very nice because on a lot of the calls, the guys sort of obviously knew that we had what it was covered. And in that sense, they, they, would, they would be like, okay, well, you guys have got it covered. You know, we'll just reach out to us if you need help. And then the things that we really needed help on, we've then onboarded. So PPC would be like a, a key one there. We had like an agency. We, we, we highlighted this as the, as the sort of the key, a key opportunity, a key gap with StellarX at the start had a call with the PPC team and then it was okay guys we're going to give you like a full resource now to work within your team to handle your PPC um I think yeah I think I think that was an example of something running really smoothly and then I suppose maybe something that's ran a little bit a little bit tricky I suppose would be something like operations because obviously yeah we're, we're in apparel business a lot of the ops team has stayed with with the company that one was it was maybe a little bit more of a it would need maybe a lot more conversations to really flush out what was going to stay with TCA and what was going to be sort of still handled within or was going to be uh, moved towards towards Celerex. So yeah, sorry, go ahead. 
that they're yeah, interesting that what what's good and what's uh, more challenging i guess that it sounds like they were smart enough to know that if you acquire a business and i've seen quite a few bit we've i guess we've all at some point in business life seen that that somebody acquires a really great business and then changes everything about it to fit with the parent company structures thus destroying the value they bought in the first place so it sounds like they weren't quite they were smart enough to go right you're good at x so we'll leave you alone and to support you where you're needed and yeah operations is obviously a challenging business anyway right especially sourcing so and and sound like a parallel where there's so many moving parts so how did you go about so what were what were the big challenges there from your uh, perspective dan and i guess that you know you're in the acquisition team not the operations i respect that but but broadly from the seller x's the acquirer's point of view what's your side of that sort of story how do you find these challenges and and integrate businesses yeah no i mean obviously as you say right i, I said slightly on uh, outside of this but i, I get a, a lot of regular feedback loops on what happened i think also, I mean, I, Chris has said it quite nicely. I think, like with any with any merger or any acquisition, like there's always integration things that that challenging in a way that like they're used to doing things in a way we used to do things in another way. Like putting things together can sometimes lead to to, to issues. I think what I mean, what I would say we're I'm particularly proud of is, and, and Chris mentioned it right. We we, we had both for 10 months and onboarding a lot of new employees that don't know exactly how to do things at CellarX or are not used to our processes. So what I'm particularly proud of it is, is if I look at TCA's onboarding and I look at one of the recent ones that, that has happened recently, like has improved significantly. We've got way better guidelines. We can do things quicker, more efficiently, and, and it's allowed us to, to grow a little bit, well, to, to, to also increase the speed of acquisitions that, that we do. Because as you said, Michael, like it's super key that, that we maintain and protect the value of the brands that we acquire. And in this case, obviously, the, there's a lot of value in TCA, in the brand, so in the employees, right? That super number one priority is that the employees feel that they're part of the SellerX family, happy with our mission, our values, et cetera, and, and that really want to stay long-term with us so, so to continue growing the brand to, to the next level. Great. So talking of which then, so one of the things that was well, a challenge is obviously keeping talent because people joined one company and then obviously they're then part of a quite a different setup. And so what have you done, Chris, let's talk from your perspective. What what have you done and what challenges have you seen with keeping the talent that you already have um, within TCA now that it's TCA slash SellerX? So yeah, so we, we've we actually, so 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 the, yeah, I think, I think I'll, I'll talk from a TCA perspective. So I think I'm highlighting some key examples that I think I've, I've maybe even alluded to them on the start of the course. So, so we, as soon as we, as we onboarded, we had a brand manager that was sort of given to us. And then we also had a sort of this integration team within SellerX. And then we highlighted some uh, real key opportunities. One of which for us was sort of launching an, an, an EU free PL. We'd had so many problems uh, year to date for because of Brexit. We were having uh, lots of stuff which couldn't go into EU FBA because we were shipping it from our UK free PL. So, so, so yeah. So we 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 sort of launched that, and then in order to do that, I had a you know an open conversation with the brand manager, and we said, look, we need to uh, actually hire people for the team. So, so actually, within I think maybe a month's worth of in, a month into the integration, I hired someone for TCA, and then we sort of launched that. 
there. And then we had a, a bit more, so some of the marketplaces that we wanted to sell on. And then I ended up hiring again because uh, I needed a bit more resource to uh, to hire to, to to sort of launch us on on some of the other target marketplaces that, that TCA had. So so yeah. So so then we we yeah. We, so we we hired more more to more towards the team. I can't can't remember where I was going with this now. <laughs> yeah, well, that sounds good. I mean, no, I was just getting a general flavour, I suppose, of of how do you keep talent. But it sounds like actually what you did is not only you kept your existing talent, but they actually were able to give you the resources to hire people you needed to achieve the opportunity so it sounds like a, a very positive experience overall um, yeah i think i think yeah. with the obviously with the existing team it's always a little bit of a conflict because you know they, they've all been kept in the dark pre-acquisition so that was a that was a bit of a bit of a sort of a you know having to have uh, calls and things making sure that they, they've they've been sort of kept happy and then you know as long as everyone's sort of aligned I mean you know, it's always a bit a bit of a worrying thing I suppose if you if it's acquired and then you know you sort of explain to them this is the reasons this is how much we're going to grow I think um, everyone in the team gets to start to feel a bit more as excited as a sort of you would be as opposed to someone being acquired and then they're like oh god like uh, what's gonna happen to my job yeah so i guess i ought to ask the the direct slightly rude question but did everyone keep their job or how did you deal with that if they didn't no no everyone everyone kept their job i think i think it's with apparel it's probably probably fairly okay for me to say that you know that there would be roles that unless seller X, Daniel might might comment differently, but unless seller X would would start to would would be buying up lots of apparel businesses, there'd be roles within the, uh, our, our company where well there'd only ever be one role needed for that person to you know design a garment to to bring bring a garment to development. So there wouldn't ever be any over resource like as if seller X would already have that employee there. So yeah, so everyone kept their job. That makes sense, and I guess it makes sense to acquire businesses that you well I suppose these are two things that Daniel be interested in your thoughts on this i suppose on the one hand it makes sense to acquire businesses of the same type so that you then can kind of duplicate uh, your team's work and have economies of scale but on the other hand there's another argument which it sounds like was was more the case here which is like we need x type of business in the category for example of apparel business because we don't have one yet and in which case what we're buying in is their ability to do apparel so how how do you when you're you're part of the acquisitions team? So when you're thinking about acquisitions, how do you think in those terms? Are you trying to add more of the same, or are you trying to kind of add more different things? Yeah, no, great great question. I mean, the way we 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 look at this is always. I mean, we we there's some categories that we like and some categories that we that we shy away from. So we we definitely see that like we we really like combining categories that call like similar products or, or, or related. I think it goes towards the, the overall mission of, of where we want to be. And, and it's like, well, digital, Unilever, Procter & Gamble. And, and for that, I think it's, it's super important to build clusters of brands within the same space. I mean, it, it goes from like, like I mean, we, there's a lot of, like, for example, we've got TCA, which is, yes, it's in the apparel, but it's in the sports apparel. And we've got some other brands. Ladles and jelly spoons, boys and girls, welcome back to the 10K Collective podcast, a subset of the amazing FBA podcast family for six, seven and eight figure Amazon sellers. Today, we are talking about that subject that is often what the sort of shining city on the hill, the the alleged 
aim of a lot of Amazon businesses, which is to sell your business for seven figures or even more. And of course, it's much discussed. But today, hopefully we're going to have a bit of a different take on that subject, which is with Chris Linton and Daniel Calleja from SellerX. They're a Berlin-based aggregator, lots of exciting startups in Berlin. A uh, bit of a different take from the average sort of American aggregator, a bit of a European angle, hopefully. And we're going to talk through the whole thing of really when you decide to sell your business, how does that decision go? And then what happens next? And then what happens when you've actually transitioned the business to a new team? And what happens you know, to your business within the new family of the aggregator? So first of all, Chris and Daniel, warm, warm welcome to the show. Thanks so much for coming on. Hey, Michael. Hey, Chris. That's a beautiful What's that, Daniel? No, just thank you for having us. A pleasure. So the first question then really is, I suppose we ought to give a bit of background about you. And then the first question I want to ask is really, why should I even sell my business? Assuming it's a good business, why would you sell it in the first place? But let's get a tiny bit of background on you. So Chris, tell us uh, first of all about your yourself. You're actually uh, a business owner and still working in an Amazon business. And so a bit intriguing. Tell us about yourself. Uh, sure. Yeah. No, I, I originally started my career very early on at Amazon. So I was a, a member in this sort of this operational excellence team. Then I, uh, then I moved to the retail side where I was a uh, sort of a category manager doing things like mattresses and office furniture, which was very exciting. And then I, I kind of wanted to, to make uh, some money myself, all of my, all of my accounts, all of my vendors, um, making all these six figures so i thought you know what i'm gonna uh gonna try my hand myself but i the only issue was i didn't have any good ideas so instead i i partnered with my um well now ex-ceo and i came on board with with tca around sort of maybe about four and a bit years ago five years ago now and they were they were a business selling on amazon selling on a little bit on ebay as well and then so over the sort of the my time there, I, I kind of launched them on various Amazon marketplaces, took advantage of FBA and so forth. Go, the owner and I decided that we wanted to exit. And so we spent around about, well, this is maybe about 18 months ago. We spent the, the 12 months then preparing the business for an exit. And then we sold to SellerX in May of, and then since then, the, as a sort of as part of the deal, we, we stayed on board other than the, the ex-owner who's now who's now left and then yeah for the last sort of a five six months we've all been seller ex employees but i've yet to update my linkedin for that actually so so i'll get a ticking off there but yeah so that, that's a, a good bit of background on me thank you yeah it's funny about linkedin profiles isn't it i mean linkedin something i i frankly check the messages every three months on that and people then vigorously reply to my messages on linkedin saying i say don't contact me on linkedin email me and then they reply on linkedin and the other thing is everyone's profile is about five out five years out of date so linkedin if you're listening sorry guys you're not always the place to be even though everyone says you are daniel <laughs> thank you very much chris so joking aside lots of uh, interesting points we'll, we'll want to dive into there and daniel you're part of the acquisitions team as as i understand it at Celerex. so what's your job at Celerex? Yeah, I mean, also for, for, for background, similar, I mean, my background is, was in finance. I did years at, at City, but something a little bit more interesting with me was I used to be an Amazon seller as well. And I had an Amazon FBA business that I started with my with my old uh, flatmate and we ended up selling the business. So I got really interested in the space and, and obviously decided to, like back in March this year, so also fairly recently, decided to join SellerX full-time. So I did... Celerex's investment team in the UK, and what I what that means basically is we look for for well me and my team look for the best businesses uh, normally based in the UK but 
also around the world that that sell on Amazon. And we look at all marketplaces, but the the main criteria is we focus on on sellers that are based in, in the UK. I mean, the, what's interesting about Chris's story, which I think is where we where we're gonna get to, is we 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 tend to be very flexible in terms of our approach. That Chris was a Chris of TCA was a was a great example of of a business that we really came with with some people that for us it was a top priority to to continue keeping them because I mean it's very difficult to find talent in the space and it was really really helpful to to have people that continue and and, and help us continue running the brand yeah and I think that's one of the things I wanted to talk about uh, today because everyone talks about selling the business like it's kind of selling a car or something uh, simple that is a one-off transaction but of course that's not normally how it works is it and so the business continuity after the sale is a really important thing. So let's come back to the one of the most important simple questions then is why should I sell my business? Obviously, Chris, you were involved in that as one of the business part owners and, and operators. Um, so let's take the that side of it first, which is less often talked about. Obviously, aggregators always tell you you should sell your business, but I guess they've got a vested interest. What what caused you and your ex CEO to to decide to sell in the first place? I suppose suppose he in terms of in terms of the two uh, the share, I think I think sort of the CEO had a bit more of a, a say in it than me. But I think at the time he'd been he'd been running the the business for a good all eight nine, and I think he in particular he just had some other sort of passions that he wanted to follow. Uh, and he wasn't as invested as he was, or, or did, or what he knew he wasn't going to be as invested as he was in in TCA. I think when we had the discussion, we knew it was the right time to sell. I think everyone sort of has that that time to sell, but we were on an upward uh, trajectory, and we'd I think over the sort of the last maybe three or four years, we, we'd sort of we'd had we'd had various projects that we felt we hadn't really been able to capitalize on. So, for example, we'd we'd really invested heavily in our website, and we'd and we'd tried to like launch an EU free PL and things. And we just felt that, especially with with the right people around it, and this is probably where SellerX come in. Like those projects could have been done a whole lot better, and and we felt that someone with the sort of the capabilities would be able to capitalise on them. And then we we actually at the around around the time of sort of the talking about selling, we knew that we wanted to keep the team, and so that was for me a very like sort of a personal type of a reason to sell because we knew that we were going to stay on board, and then I would have the opportunity to uh, to sort of go forth with all these projects. Which yeah, which which previously as a sort of a small business, we may not have been able to you know to to really implement as well. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, uh, it's interesting because I suppose it's having a sense of the business as a separate entity from either the owner now or the aggregator in in the future, right? And and thinking what the business needs, which kind of sounds like a weird thing to say because obviously it, you know what matters is the ownership and profit and lump sums that you get and so forth, I suppose. But yeah, it's interesting that actually at a certain point there is a natural dynamic, isn't there? The business is going right; it's either going to grow more or it's going to die. And also like the fact that you you see the fact coming that you're going to lose interest and sell before that happens because i've seen quite a few cases where people try and sell afterwards I, I guess daniel you must have those sad conversations so daniel from your point of view then when somebody like chris and, and his ex-ceo and, and the team decide they want to sell what are the what's the sort of basic process just talk us through the a little bit of the mechanics just from an overview perspective yeah sure i mean i'll, I'll talk in the context of, of tca which i mean in, in this case i mean we we got in touch through through a broker for 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 the transaction actually funny enough I actually knew the, the CEO through a friend of a friend and actually we like connected as well before, like, oh, actually thinking of selling us, oh, well, you should message us as well. So, so we connected a bit, but the process was, I mean, I'd say it was relatively simple. The broker had prepared some materials on the 
on the business, some financials, some projections, basically a deep understanding of on the supply chain and the operations and the infrastructure that the business had. So we had, I think, first what, a one-hour call with, with Chris and, and the CEO, and it was really about getting to know their business, getting to know them better. I mean, we, we personally put a lot of focus on on the growth and the opportunities because that's where we where we see that we can really add value. Like, if we take this business tomorrow, what can we do in order to grow it? And and what does the business need that it can't be done at the moment that we can help? So I think we had one or two uh, more conversations with, with the team. Then I think the process was relatively simple. We we submitted an offer. I think that we had a touch point. Then we, we, we signed what was called the letter of intent, which is basically a one or two page document where we agreed the, the head term of the transaction. And then we started due diligence. I think due diligence went relatively smooth. I think it took us maybe between 30 and 40 days to, to do all the, all the due diligence. Chris here was instrumental they're like answering all our all our requests. I mean, I don't know from from my side, it went relatively smooth. Maybe for you, it was a, a little bit more more painful. But what we did was, I mean, we focused on 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 four more, four main areas: financial. That it was basically verifying that the numbers that we had looked at were actually correct, and 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 there wasn't any anything there. Uh, commercial, which is again verifying some some of the things on Amazon and and the product positioning chain, the inventory, things like that. Then legal, that there's nothing, no, no sort of legal issues with the setup, the, the trademarks belong to them, etc. And then tax, which is, again, that there isn't any sort of weird tax liabilities that we would take over, given this was a, a share deal. So yeah, I mean, 30, 40 days later, we, we signed the, the, the share purchase agreement. And obviously, we, we welcome TCA and Chris and, and all his team to, to our SellerX family. Great. So a couple of points. So um, the first thing you said is share purchase agreements. So I've heard that quite a lot of, particularly the American aggregators, seem to be very into asset sales rather than buying a company as a whole. But it sounds like you bought the company as a whole. So tell me what, what the thinking is behind that, if that's important. Yeah, I mean, the, this, I mean, the, the distinction shares and asset purchase, basically what, what tends to happen in, in the US, most of the transactions tend to be asset purchase because it's significantly easier to, to do uh, you don't have this element of a potential tax liability that, that comes with it. However, in the UK and, and in most European countries, it's structured with a shell. And the reason, the main reason for it is for the seller, there's a, a big tax advantage to, to do it as a, as a share deal because most governments offer like some tax benefits by doing a share versus a, an asset deal. So in this case, we, we did it as a, a share deal first to, to help the, the seller. And also, given we were taking over the, the team, the, the contracts, everything, it was significantly easier to do it like that than rather than do an asset deal and have to transfer the contracts of the employees, transfer whatever leases that they have, transfer the trademarks, the seller accounts. So in this case, it was just easier. But in that respect, I mean, as seller X, we, we, we do both and, and tend to be very flexible depending on, on what the seller wants. Cool. Okay, interesting. It's just something that's come up. So it's one of those sort of nitty-gritty technical questions that I suppose we, we need to educate people about a little bit. The other thing is you mentioned tax and weird liabilities. I would like to just 
check on that in a second but i think before we do that let's talk about as you said of the due diligence process from your side seemed fairly smooth you mentioned that chris obviously that you're the you are and were the coo so chief operations officer which i guess implies a certain size of business what sort of size of business were, were you when you decided to sell and what sort of what are we dealing with here roughly i think we were sort of around about the five million uh mark in revenue give or take a few <clears throat> so yeah so the 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 due diligence process from from my side. Um, I think we 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 ended up actually over preparing. You know, it'd be the first time I'd been for a sale, and we had our FD at the time who was really helping us out. And he was more. He's worked on a lot of acquisitions. I don't think uh, he'd ever worked on an acquisition in the Amazon space. So I think we his advice, which was probably really good at the time, was was ended up being that we over-prepared. I think we had like huge lists of things that we expected um, Seller X to ask for, and they didn't. The, the one big thing, I suppose, was around about the time Actually, I think I think I was asked at one point to give a list of my the all of my customs declarations over the last year, which for an apparel business which operates in free entities was a long list of customs declarations. But yeah, so yeah, no, but it was it was good. I think yeah, like I say, like we definitely had already prepared a lot of the things anyway. So when we had the request, it was just about tweaking them for the wording that the seller X team wanted. Yeah, interesting. So you guys obviously very organised, and I guess that that with a five million pound business. Or, or dollar i don't know what even you, when everyone throws the numbers around and assumes it's dollars but i guess we're talking pounds or euros here but that you obviously they were smart enough to hire someone like you who had a really solid solid background in e-commerce and you know as a cf or chief operations officer or whatever whatever you call that in sort of british words and then they also had an fd or financial director which for american friends listening is cfo chief financial officer people chuck a lot of these words around but in other words you've got a solid operations and financial people there and i guess for the smaller businesses that don't have that then the due diligence is going to be a painful coming up to speed for a lot of people so daniel would you say what chris has just described is typical of of the businesses that you acquire or is it normally the case that you find that their finances and, and operational documentation is a bit messier than that no i mean i think it's it's typical well it depends i think it's, it's typical for the size that makes sense like once you, you get to a size, you, you normally have like that infrastructure in place and, and it tends to be a little bit easier and smoother that like there is people to, to answer the, those questions, right? Because the, the problem is a lot of the times if it's a one owner, one founder kind of person, the, they don't have the, the, the granularity and the expertise on, on those topics. And a lot of the time what they've been doing is, is putting down fires and not necessarily keeping like good track record of, of all these things that come up during due diligence. The, what I would mention as well, which is what I mean, related to what Chris says, we, we tend to do a lot of work before the transaction. So, so before we see very much the due diligence uh, as confirmatory due diligence. So basically confirming the numbers that we did before, confirming so that we that the product positioning is okay, that the Amazon account is okay. What, what I was mentioning before on the taxes, that there's nothing uh, of confirming that they own all the trademarks so in that respect it tends to be fairly smooth that there isn't like it's not like we we, we start doing the work when we doing due diligence is we've already done the work let's just make sure our assumptions were correct yeah that makes a lot of sense and I, i've heard from various aggregators one thing to look out for <clears throat> with aggregators or or I, yeah i guess it would be aggregators would be sending out a letter of intent super quickly without doing due diligence and then spending ages and ages trying to keep you off the market uh, whilst they go and discover the stuff that they kind of should have found out before 
they actually did that. So yeah, let's talk a little about deal structure then, because obviously one of the things that people are gradually getting clued up on as Amazon sellers is that you don't just go to somebody and sell your business and they give you a million pounds, dollars, euros, whatever, and then it's good night, Lucy. You actually normally have some kind of earnout structure or there's part of it. So what, what are the sort of t- typical deal structures that you'd end up with? Yeah, I mean, something I, I'll point out here, I mean, something we, we're quite proud of Seller X is, I mean, even our name, the X, is that like, the, it's it, it's for the variable X that every seller is different, every seller wants something different, and, and we and we really put a lot of effort on on giving them the best experience as possible. And that also like goes from start to, to when we start talking with them, but also when we make them an offer, we really try to, to tailor for the needs. So in that respect, I mean, we, we tend to be quite flexible that if someone wants the majority of the money up front, we can do that structure. But if they want something with like, as you said, earnouts and, and continue to get paid long term, then we also do that, right? Because I think it, it also goes to, to what the seller wants to do with their lives, right? If they want to go and, and build other projects, et cetera, and don't want to be involved, then that's fine, right? Like they they probably want to have more of the money up front to, to whatever they have to. But a lot of them, like MTCA is a, is a great example. It's one where, yes, the owners wanted someone to, to grow the brand, take it to another next level, but they also saw a lot of potential and thought they would want to benefit in the, in the long term. So in this case, we, we went for a structure that was quite generous on the, on the deferred payment component. Thanks for listening to the 10K Collective podcast for six and seven figure Amazon sellers. I really hope you found the show helpful to you. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please do leave us a quick star rating. It will take you all of 30 seconds to do it, but it does mean we can be found by and help many more e-commerce business builders. I wish you fast and profitable scaling, and I hope you enjoy the process of building your seven-figure Amazon business. Thanks very much for listening.